we can be in despair. We can go through trials. And that's a really important and in there. We can also grow. So it's not that we ever have to be grateful for the hard things that happen to us. And we can be grateful for how we, have, we can move through that to experience great peace and joy and growth in our life. I love that theme. That's really the theme of my life and of my work with others. Um, I don't want to negate that first part, which is despair, and how we want to um, acknowledge that and work with that. And I don't want to get stuck in that to become just a survivor of despair so that you don't experience the growth that's possible. Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. On today's program, we have a special presentation featuring our director, Debbie Laser, with a presentation that she gave at a recent conference called the Betrayal Healing Conference. In this show, Debbie will be speaking about a subject that she is well, well versed in, and that is trauma. Her most current book is called From Trauma to Transformation, and it's a phenomenal book that uh, we recommend to anyone who has been dealing with the trauma of sexual addiction. Here now is Debbie Laser. Welcome, Debbie. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Tammy. It's great to be back. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Debbie, I love your focus on really helping women grow after this. You know, and, and after all the damage and all of that, I mean, sometimes there is just such a struggle to believe that it's possible to really heal, to have a good life, to move on. And that is really where we're focusing in on today. And I, I'm so excited to have you share with that. So to start out, like you, you use a post-traumatic model mm -hmm. for helping women who have been betrayed. So can you explain what that is, what that means? And how did you land on that? Mm -hmm. Well, the post-traumatic growth model was actually identified by two psychotherapists by the name of Tedeschi and Calhoun from the University of North Carolina way back in the late 1990s. Uh, they began to gather research from a lot of people about traumatic life events, in including a lot of natural disasters, loss of loved ones, sexual abuse, wartime trauma. We see a lot of those things in our news today on a regular basis. And so what I love about their work is they gathered the research that was happening with a lot of those life events, and they started to think about creating an inventory about whether it was true that in anything that was traumatic, we could, in fact, grow. Mm -hmm. And just to make the long story short, because I did talk about this before, and I have a research project you can look at, they did find five significant areas that people were consistently showing growth when they had right resources to do so. So it wasn't just a given that you go through something hard and you wait and wait and wait and then, or for Christians, you pray and pray and pray and then all of a sudden all this great growth happens. So they recognized that it did take some cooperation, participation on your part in order for growth to happen. What I knew in my own life was that 
that seemed to be happening for me. I didn't have all those words to describe it. What I just knew is that things were changing. They were getting better. Not, I was liking myself better. Mark was changing. Our marriage was changing. We were living in truth. It didn't mean that we didn't have bumps along the way. And there were obviously things that made our life very rich, much better than it had been prior to discovery. Uh, when I got into my master's program and I had to choose a, a theme for my thesis, I actually ran into research that started naming what I had experienced all these years in my life. And I was like, I just fell into a bucket of diamonds. I'm like, whoa, this is about my life and this is what I believe. And so I dug into all the research that led to um, this this theory that has really been out there for quite some time but is really I'm finding only recently really being talked about and so the theory really lets us know and of my work with others um, I don't want to negate that first part which is despair and how we want to um, acknowledge that and work with that and I don't want to get stuck in that to become just a survivor of despair so that you don't experience the growth that's possible. Mm. So both become very important in my work and the timing of those is important. The things we talk about, the practical steps, as I say, are really different for each of those. And just so you know, I'm a really practical person. And I, rather than just big comments from people, hey, you're a strong woman, I know you'll get through this, or, you know, whatever it is, I just like, well, tell me what I need to do today. And so I'm a real huge advocate of helping people figure out what is the next right step to slowly start moving to this place of transformation. Well, and I really appreciate that, Debbie, because I think so often we hear time will heal all wounds. And I think, gosh, when it comes to betrayal, trauma, and grief, that that is not true. I wish it was, but it's not, right? And so I think, and, and a lot of times there's so many ways that women can get stuck <laughs> in this process that really... Like I, you talked about falling into like a bucket of diamonds. Like it feels like gold to say like, oh, no, no, no. We, we all want to grow. Like we want to, we want to get to that place. So I'm wondering if you'll unpack that a little bit mm -hmm. and unpack some of those diamonds yeah, and yes. share with everybody, like, what does it take to, to have that freedom and that healing afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some of these things I'm going to talk about actually came out of the research of these psychologists. And um, we, we know, too, in our work here at Faithful and True that they're absolutely true. One, for instance, is um, community. I think one of the greatest enemies of any of us getting well from anything traumatic is that we try to do it alone or reading a book or something like that. But community is such an important part to moving forward. You need to be heard about your pain. You know, a book can't do that for you when you're reading. And the very person who probably hurt you isn't the right one to try to go to either. I'm not saying he can't contribute some things. Um, and we have found too that it takes a community of other people who know how to be safe for you and who can listen, who cannot give you advice all the time, who cannot tell you what you have to do next, who can quote scripture all day long, which I'm saying is fine in some cases, but for some of us, we just need to be heard and embraced in our pain. Um, finding those people are going to be really important. 
even more so on the front end though is possibly self-care for how you've been harmed through this uh, information discovery. And for a lot of women, it is so devastating that there are many physical symptoms that start happening for them, including, I talk with women who haven't slept for days and days, weeks and weeks, maybe little snippets of rest here and there, and they are so sleep deprived, and yet they are trying to get through from one day to the next. Or they're so anxious about the future and what that's gonna hold, or they're afraid about so many things. And at times we want to assess what those symptoms are of post-trauma so that we deal with those sometimes medically and also with help with what's worked for other people. Um, so I think taking an assessment of those, getting uh, help around that is gonna be one of the very first steps we want to attend to when we're talking about post-trauma. <laughs> Yeah, I think, boy, that physical taking care of your body is so important because mm -hmm. after trauma or after betrayal in particular, like we really disconnect with our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, Andy Kohlberg in her book, Try Softer, talks about it's like the body, the, the body is just here to carry my head around type of yeah. thing. <laughs> I love and that. it's like reconnecting with the body. Mm -hmm. But there's also so many health ramifications mm -hmm. to stay in stress after betrayal. I, I, mm -hmm. I know for me, I see so many of my clients who have really serious health stuff that come up afterwards. Yes. So yes. let's get super practical here. So we're talking about, let's, let's focus in on the self-care. We're talking mm -hmm. about going to doctor's appointments, maybe getting STD yes. testing. Mm -hmm. What are yes. some other really right. practical things mm -hmm. for taking care of their body? I think if they are having difficulties with sleeping is to talk to a physician about where, what are some things that can help them. There are all kinds of things from natural solutions if they're you know, kind of inclined to go that way. There are medications that would help. But it's gonna be important if you're gonna work on anything, you gotta have your body and your head in the game. And if you're sleep deprived, and we all know this from a lot of research on the brain these days, that is one of the most hurtful things to your brain to expect it to function well. So getting help for that is really important. I think anxiety is one of the next things that I hear a lot about. Um, for a lot of women, uh, again, they resist maybe medications. There are many naturopathic things that they can think about getting help for, and it may not be a bad idea if it's moved into panic attacks and so forth to also get medical help and what could be situational drugs that might help them just in the moment, because I don't know if any, any of you out there have experienced panic attacks, it is a very scary place for your body to go. You feel totally out of control, helpless, you don't know what it's gonna do, it st starts affecting your breathing often. Um, so it's really important to get medical help with that. You know, the other thing that starts coming out of, out of getting that kind of help is you probably need to start telling your story a little bit. And for a lot of people, that's even hard. You know, a doctor maybe they've gone to for years and years they don't want to be honest with. And yet, again, working on being authentic will mean figuring out how to share some truthful things about yourself so people can really help you. Yeah. And that really ties back into the community piece that you're mm -hmm. talking about. Yes. So 
So I assume what you're talking about is support groups. Is that what you mean by community Uh, or is it broader than that? um, I think initially for a lot of people, that is even too scary to think Mm -hmm. about. Um, And I think for many people, starting with a professional counselor is one of the best ways. I think from my research, there are some that go to a best friend or family member or even a pastor or ministry person. Unfortunately, um, it is changing in terms of ministry, I think. But it was found in my research that they weren't always the best people to help you in the beginning. And so I I think the people that were found to be the most helpful were clinicians. And um, I think it's because many of us have training in this field or are getting training in this field. So we know not to say certain things like, he will never change probably. He's just a narcissist. So you better decide if you want to stay or you want to leave. Um, you know, once, once he's done this, I don't think there's ever any going back. I don't know that you could ever trust him again. All of these kinds of beliefs that sometimes people who are not trained will pass along to a very vulnerable woman who's in this place. You know, sometimes she only gives it one shot to share her story with someone. And if that person isn't able to give her wise information at that point, it it can really rob her of moving along to get more help for herself. So I can't say enough about how important it is to think about choosing the right person when you go to, and, and maybe also listening to what has been told to you and whether that sits with you. Do you find some peace from what you hear or are you really disturbed, as I call it? Is your peace disturbed when somebody says to you, he's always going to be like that. So learn to live with it or forget it and move on. Does that sit well with you or not? I really encourage women to listen to that spirit within them that has the ability to tell them what's what's really going to be right for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting help, you're, you're right, might be first and foremost with one individual. And if that one could be a professional counselor, I think that's going to be a very good choice. Yeah. I ideally like the idea that it's her own therapist or counselor, not someone she shares with her husband. Mm-hmm. Again, that idea that you have your very own place, that someone's going to really listen to you, um, is certainly not going to tell you that you're half of his problem. So, you know, if she starts, if a therapist starts listening to a spouse and then wants to start going after some of the problems he's having with you, that's not a good place to start. There are relational issues that can come up in time for growth of a marriage. But in the beginning, you need to know it's not your fault. You didn't cause this addiction. And sometimes when I share just that basic truth with people, because of what they've heard elsewhere, they just start weeping. They've been, it's so hard to depersonalize what appears to be such personalized behavior on our our husband's part. But that's also going to be a part of surviving, I think, is being informed about addiction, being educated about that. And it's something I love for women to engage in is that information. Um, A lot of women don't get that, and especially in peer groups, we, we get a lot of the, you know, oh, this happened to me too, and that happened to you, and we get a lot of being heard, and we join others who have the journey, but we don't get the hope of what it would be like to be educated and also to move forward from people who are further along than some of the ones that we may meet in a support group. So, well, and I think that really speaks to... Um, 
the type of person you seek help from. Because mm-hmm. I appreciated you talking about the, some of the messages that they can get the negative. I know a lot of women, by the time they make it into my office, have been through some other therapist or people in their faith community that have also, like you said, blamed them. Mm-hmm. You know, let's look at your part of this. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. look at. And so knowing that just because somebody has credentials behind their names does not mean that they understand this world. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a very specialized area. And I tell people, you know, when I went to grad school and got my counseling degree, there was only one class on marriage counseling and it was an elective. Mm -hmm. So it does not mean that just because somebody has credentials that they know how to work with betrayal. So finding somebody specifically who gets it so critical and also so that they can offer that information that you're talking about that because it is important to understand what's going on. I may mention that one of the things that helps with trauma in the beginning is having someone help you look at your beliefs about mm-hmm. things. Because what has been proven in the pain of trauma is that it's really what you're believing that mm-hmm. creates the pain. Isn't that interesting to think about? Yeah, and tell us more. Go deeper well, on that I one. What I mean by that is that um, it's why you can tell the same information to two different people or five different people, and they all have different reactions. And the reason is, is because they have different beliefs about things. You know, when people often come to me and they go, how do you listen to these stories all of the time? You know, I would be devastated. And I said, well, when it was my own story and I carried beliefs like, will my husband ever change? Could I ever trust him again? I don't think so. Uh, You know, is there any hope for us? Or are we going to always be identified with this problem? And I don't know if I can live with that. I had all of those beliefs going on inside of me. With help, I was, be, I was able to correct those belief systems and start living out new ones. I did learn that I could trust Mark again. I did know that he could change. I did know that there was hope for different life for both of us. As we worked hard in our own programs, those beliefs changed, and therefore my pain also was relieved along the way. So when I can listen to stories, it's because I don't believe the same things as the woman that is coming to me telling me those things. I understand about things that I know are true. And so part of this is working with someone who knows what's true about this. And as you were just saying, Tammy, it's not true that being more sexual with your husband is the reason he's acting out. That's not a truth. And if that belief system keeps getting poured into you and you believe that, it's going to be really hard to accept that you aren't the part of this problem. You know, so understanding and looking at belief systems is crucial. And so, go ahead. Boy, that's so powerful, Debbie. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I haven't heard a lot of focus on this area. So mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I want to lean in here just a little bit sure. longer of how do people start to recognize their belief systems, Mm -hmm. and then how do you shift? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, I believe triggers are one of the, like, gifts to us, as I say. Most of us think, I do not want to live with triggers in my life. So if you trigger me, I'm just going to get away from you, and it'll be Mm -hmm. a lot better. And it's true. It gets better because you don't have to think about and move through a lot of elements of what are parts of triggers. When you're triggered by something, you have an emotional reaction. And if that emotional reaction will be listened to, um, and then it can become a messenger to you, it can tell you a Mm. lot of things. One thing, it can tell you what you're thinking. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's where your belief systems come in. And it can also tell you, which is huge, what you need. And so you can get better at associating what you might need. And when you get better at asking for it or making a really important need happen in your life, it can also be one of those little next right steps to lead you to another place. If we take an example of that, um, I would say it would be someone who um, is watching their husband watching another woman. And she might come to me and say, I am so triggered because it just seems like in church he's watching people or we go to the, we go to the health club and he's watching people. And I said, well, tell me what you're feeling when that happens. And she said, well, it makes me mad. I'm really angry for sure. And I said, anything else that goes with that? And she goes, well, it also makes me really anxious and really sad. And I said, well, let's take those emotions. And what do you generally do? when you have those emotions show up when you're triggered. And she may tell me a number of things that she does to try to solve that problem. One person might say, well, I just turn my music up really loud and I let it flood out my brain so I can just not think about it. I said, okay. Another person might say, well, I just, um, I, I go to God, I read scripture, I read this or whatever, and um, I just know that he's going to help me figure it out sometime, somehow. And um, I say to another woman, what, what else might you do? And she goes, well, I just find I go to my husband. I start plastering him with questions. Weren't you looking at that woman at the health club? Didn't you look a little too long? Is that part of your program? I think that's really hurtful. And he says, I really wasn't doing that. And so she's trying to interrogate him to figure it out. So those are some of the things she might do that aren't working. But I ask her to think about telling me, what's the story going on in your head? What are you believing here? She said, well, first of all, I think part of the story is he doesn't get it. And he's probably never going to change. He's been looking like this for a long time. He's supposedly in counseling. He does all this stuff, and he's still doing it. I don't know that he will ever change. There's a belief. Okay. I also think there's no way I can ever live up to all these women I see him looking at. There's another belief. (laughs) I'm not good enough. If you listen to her, as you ask her to share about what she's thinking, when she feels the way she feels, when she's triggered, you're already on a path to figuring out belief systems. <laughs> so that's, that's a beautiful part of helping someone with that because it does take someone else to help you. You know, we yeah. only think the way we think. And the truth is, You know, if somebody were to ask me of that early on, because I did blame myself, I also thought I wasn't enough. Um, You know, part of the educational part of this whole journey is what helped me to believe, at least in my head, that I wasn't a problem. But in my heart, I still believed it. And the truth is, when I started exploring my belief system, I carried one about me not being as adequate as a lot of other women way earlier in my life. I did that comparison thing Um, I was kind of grown up to do it because I was a twin. I started it right Mm. in my family with my twin sister. Mm. In my mind, she was the beautiful one, the athletic Mm. one, the pretty one with the blonde curly hair. I was the one mousy brown straight hair. You know, I Mm. was doing this comparison thing for a long time. So this trauma that came up with Mark just also ignited some of the old beliefs that were in me. 
My yeah. work for myself was going after updating the old stuff, living with the truth of the new stuff, and carrying that forward in my life to really love who I am. That's hard work to do without the help of others. So hard. I often say that after betrayal, it's like every insecurity you've ever had in your life suddenly feels true and on steroids. Yeah, that's a real way to say it. But the truth is, you know, it's fun because we have beliefs about everything. You know, I look outside today, it's a cold, overcast day. And my belief is that's not a great day, you know, and I, I, you know, it just happens to be my life. I get invigorated by sunshine and whatever. I have a best friend says, this is my favorite kind of day. Right. That's her belief, <laughs> you know, and, and so we have beliefs about everything. It's really quite fun when you start exploring yourself to ask yourself most often, what do I believe about that? So Debbie, when you're walking with somebody and you start to identify, help them identify some of these beliefs, mm-hmm. how do you help them start to shift? What does that mm-hmm. look like to shift those beliefs? Mm-hmm. Well, I think some of it is um, not telling them what they should believe because that's mm-hmm. all our personal journey. Sometimes I just offer them other possibilities, mm-hmm. you know, or we take something and we look at how old it might be or where they might have started believing what they believe. Um, who taught them? For instance, there are a lot of women that still believe if they were more sexual with their spouse, he wouldn't struggle with pornography. And sometimes I'll say to them, do you have any idea where you started believing that? You know, who, who far, first started pouring that information into you? And then they'll start telling me stories about maybe where that came from. For most of them, it comes from their spiritual journey, quite frankly, you know, quite honestly. And then I will say to them, have you read anything or heard anybody else tell you anything differently than that? And I might share with them my truth, you know, that I've worked with a lot of people. What I do know is that in this field, for those that are trained, what we do know is that sex is never the answer to a sex addict. It's kind of like alcohol, more alcohol would be a solution for an alcoholic. Yeah, she says, that makes sense. I said, so maybe it is that your belief about that is outdated and you want to think about changing that for yourself. I usually want her just to think about it, you know, and um, come back and let me know what she might be thinking about. So offering possibilities is one of the ways I do that. And also sometimes leading her to other references for reading or a pastor to talk through that or, you know, something else that would give her more information to broaden her possibilities for why she believes what she believes. You hear the most amazing stories. You know, well, my mom told me right before my wedding night, someone might tell me that uh, whatever you do, you say yes to whenever your husband wants sex. Don't ever do it differently. Okay, so she goes, so I got a real clear message from my mom when I went to my wedding night, and that has stuck with me ever since. Mm -hmm. So exploring where we take in beliefs in our life and then whether we need to update them is something I talk about in my book as well. I think, (laughs) this is my belief, that a lot of our counseling journey is about updating our belief systems because most of us are living with a lot of stuff that was poured into us from others our whole life. And now as an adult, 
we get the privilege of deciding which of those are true for us and which ones of those we need to update. So Debbie, what did lead you to write writing your book? Uh, your latest book, my From Trauma to Transformation. Yeah. Well, you know, you had mentioned in my bio that I've worked with women for many, many years and led groups for them for over 20 years. And um, I think one of the great things about leading groups, as well as counseling, is all the things I learn from everybody. I mean, yeah. I'm sure if you lead groups, you know that's the same is true. And a lot of times I would just make notes at the end of the group. Wow, this was a great idea we talked about in there. This was that, you know, because our groups are process groups, meaning we don't work through materials. We bring whatever is on somebody's agenda that day, and we talk about it therapeutically. And so we cover anything and everything when we're talking. So, you know, after 20 years of this, I, I had volumes of papers and little notes. I mean, I have papers everywhere in my office. And I thought, you know, I, I just have this, this inclination to get that in a book somewhere. And maybe some people could learn some of this stuff just reading it. I, I am a believer that just reading and not having that community or counseling is not going to do it. And it could help you with a lot of things to think about and get started on yourself. And so that's what led me to write the book. I think after all this time, I feel like I said to myself, you know what you know. You've helped a lot of women. Your journey has been helped and transformed. I think it's time to get it into a book. So, Oh, I love so, it. Yeah. Man, I so appreciate that you took that time. It's a mm -hmm. gift to everybody else because yeah. certainly for women when this first happens, like books and podcasts are where most women mm -hmm. go, especially because mm -hmm. it feels safest. So to have that yeah. entry point for your books and others, and then hopefully into that community. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, so one last question, Demi, I would just love for you to paint a picture of like, what kind of growth do you see in women? Like, what is the possibility of growth? Paint that picture for us. Okay. Give us that hope. And that would be, uh, I'm painting the picture of thriving. Okay. Mm -hmm. Versus surviving is when our focus primarily stays on the addiction. And perhaps our goal is for sobriety and faithfulness. And that's a wonderful goal early on. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe it's the only goal because I do believe that we are meant to work through difficult things and to use the knowledge of how we can change and grow, be a better person, the person God calls us to be, and to find more meaning in our life as we do that. Thriving, I think, is really living really with our story and how in the world might we use that for others. It doesn't mean you have to do it full time as a therapist like I ended up doing. And I do believe people that thrive are not afraid to talk about their story mm -hmm. and what it has led them to. So ultimately, I think one of the first steps to walking out of that surviving place is recognizing that sexual addiction is not the problem in my life. It is a problem. Hmm. And Virginia Satir, a wonderful therapist who is now not living, um, but taught so much about family systems in the last century, had many wonderful sayings, and this was one of them. If we get stuck on any one thing as the reason why I am the way I am or why I can't do what I want to do or I can't be the person that I think I'm called to be, we're going to stay stuck in survivor mode. Mm -hmm. But when we start maybe asking the question, what can I learn? 
rather than why me? Why was I in this situation? I was such, tried to be such a good person, a good wife. I'm a good this or that. What, what, it do, what might I learn in here instead is a great question. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be about a lot of other things. So when we start recognizing that there are other things, like maybe I could start just being a gentle observer of my own life. Who am I? How do I show up when I'm mad? What do I do when I'm really sad? What are those things that aren't that becoming to me that make it even hard for me to like myself, Mm -hmm. let alone love who I am? And I think as we begin to look at those things, we we can figure out small, right, practical steps to starting to change those things. I know when I was early on in recovery, my, my reaction to many things that were hurtful was to shut down and not say anything. Mm-hmm. That certainly was not authentic. It wasn't loud. It wasn't messy. It wasn't rageful. And so some people could look at me and think, oh, isn't she just a calm thing? You know, it wasn't good. It wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for our relationship. I wasn't being authentic. I didn't share anything that was going on for me. So that was my lack of emotional presence in our relationship. But when we do other things, we also pull ourselves out of emotional presence and we hinder our ability to grow deeper with people in our relationships. So accepting that there might be some things I want to look at while at the same time accepting I didn't cause someone else to do what they did, that's a beginning of a journey that will lead to a lot of change in your life. That's great. So Debbie, thank you so much for sharing uh, your wisdom and your experience with us today. And I know that at Faithful and True, you guys do a lot of work. You do individual counseling, you do couples, you do workshops. Can you tell us a little bit about um, just if people want to get a hold of you and what sort of services you guys offer? Sure. Well, we have a website, faithful and spelled out true.com, where anyone can go and find out all the things that we do. Um, it also is full of all those podcasts you mentioned earlier that are helpful to women and men as well. Um, we've done numerous, numerous podcasts since the year 2012, actually, before we even called these things podcasts. Uh, we <laughs> named them the radio, the website radio show is what we called them. Before. Um, Mark was the host of those shows for many, many many years until his passing. And then Dr. Greg Miller stepped into that role, who he's also the director of our men's workshops. Um, He now hosts those. We put out a a podcast every week. So if you want to learn about who we are, what we believe, our belief systems, um, and you want to, you know, decide whether it makes sense to you, tune in to some of those over 400 podcasts that are available, all free to you. It's a great way to gather some wisdom. Um, One of the ways we help people from all over the country and actually outside of our country is through our intensive three-day workshops. Mark helped create those early on after he had been to inpatient treatment, which was a wonderful way to get a lot of help early on. Uh, We also know that insurance doesn't cover that much anymore, and uh, he was convinced that maybe we could put that into a shorter intensive and, and connect that with outpatient help where someone lives with their own counselors and groups and perhaps provide the same kind of a healing journey. Mm -hmm. So our workshops are loaded with all kinds of wisdom that we have 
gathered from the hundreds and hundreds of people that we work with here. So if anyone wants something kind of quick and get on the journey fast, I think that's one of the ways to think about doing that. One of the ways of creating community with safe people, because let's face it, they're there too. They don't want their stories spread around the country or in the newspaper, and they're just as mindful of being confidential as you would be if you came. Um, it's true, we do individual counseling and uh, virtual groups. Uh, as for most therapists these days, our schedules are pretty packed out. So we try to do what we can do, um, but our workshops are probably the best way to get connected with all of our wisdom on the front end. Awesome. So thanks for asking about that. Absolutely. Debbie, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank and you. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for joining us today on the Faithful and True podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed this opportunity to hear Debbie Laser talk about From Trauma to Transformation. This uh, podcast has been widely uh, appreciated and viewed, and uh, we hope that you've enjoyed Debbie's presentation. Until then, until we join you again on our next podcast, we hope that this coming week for you will be filled with many blessings and with great vision.